Welcome to Project Leadership Guru with Ravi Bhatia. This is episode 21. Contracts and Contracts Management. Contracts and the understanding of contracts in projects could take a lifetime to master. Contracts managers, contracts administrators play a very important role in projects and project management. I've been fortunate in my career to work with some great project contracts specialists. People that understand the written word, the implied word, and how contracts should be written to provide the greatest level of protection for project leaders. I've learned a lot from contracts managers and I'd like to think that I've applied some of it on the projects that I've managed. Essentially, contracts are there to protect us, but as project leaders, we know that we want to maximize value on projects, which means that we want to write contracts that are practical, that we have the ability to work with, and that are based on sound legal and project management principles. Above all, contracts must be credible. They must be able to focus on the big issues, the goals that we have as a project leader, but also capture and protect us on the minutia, on the language that could represent a slippery slope for us. Contracts must never be personal. They must be objective. So if we are preparing a contract, we've got to make sure that it can withstand the scrutiny of an objective lens. Someone was, once taught me that all contracts are meant to be broken. While that is a cynical view, what it means is that there is no such thing as a perfect contract. What we want is a contract that we can work with. When, when negotiations break down uh, in, a, uh, in a change scenario, when there's a variation in scope and you have a dispute, you fall back on the contract. So uh, it's important for um, us to understand that we've got to cover all the bases on the contract make sure the scopes of work are covered, make sure that the general requirements protect us on what um, issues there could be that could trip us up in a settlement or claim situation. We don't want to personalize a contract. We want to make sure that a contract facilitates um, discussion and facilitates proper settlement, fair settlements. Contracts also have to tie in to the critical path of the schedule. If you're a project leader and you believe that schedule has been extended, you've got to show that the critical path was affected. Well, what does the contract say about it? How was the critical path disrupted? And, and can you demonstrate in the contract that you're entitled to rely on the critical path schedule. That means that the 
critical path schedule, the CPM schedule, must have been approved at one point? Were there more than one critical paths? Was there float involved and who owned it? Contracts got to address all of these things. In a chain scenario, you've got to be able to show how you or your company incurred additional scope and time and cost. Was the change incremental in nature or was it constructive? Was there some unfair dealing that was involved? Was there some maladministration? When we as project leaders go back and try to enforce a contract, we've got to show that perhaps what the owner was trying to get us to do was impracticable. And there, uh, our understanding and our experience guides us. Often, I like to think that if you rely on the contract or if you're forced to rely on a contract, then all other mechanisms have broken down. In an ideal world, I would love to have the contract executed and then put that contract away with the understanding that we could all work together uh, amicably and that there could be fair understanding and fair settlements of change orders, schedule changes, scope changes. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work out that way, which is why, for me at least, the contract represents a fallback position. The um, document of last resort, where other agreements or implied agreements no longer um, remain valid or no longer are um, reliable. When you have a contract, you want to make sure that the language doesn't lock you in or is contradictory in some way. Many years ago, uh, I had uh, the chance to take a class on specification writing. And it was quite informative, actually, because what I learned was that a contract that is over-specified, meaning that the contract has the same requirement stated in multiple ways in different parts of the contract. That actually works against the uh, administration of the contract because it leads to the possibility of contradiction and ambiguity. And ambiguity is the enemy of a well-written contract. So we do not want ambiguity. Um, Contracts, especially general requirements, have to cover so many facets of the administration of a design and construction uh, process. We want to make sure that the financial elements of a contract are covered. If you're in an international contract, you've got to make sure that currency risk is addressed. How are you getting paid? Um, what is the currency in which you're getting paid? Are tax liabilities covered in the contract? Many years ago, I was involved in a negotiation of a change order for a public client in Canada. And I thought we had a win. It was a, a change order that was worth nearly half a million dollars in, in Canadian dollars. And when we got the payment check, it was for a little more than $400,000 Canadian. 
And that was a lesson learned because as the project leader, I had failed to really understand what the tax implication um, of a settlement was on a change order. So um, we had to pay at the source uh, a GST and PST Canadian tax. So lost almost 20% of the value of the settlement at the time the check was written. That was a lesson learned. My failure to understand the contract with respect to currency and taxation uh, was, um, was really a painful thing for us because had we known that, we would have made sure that the settlement was net of taxes. And since we didn't do that, we paid the price for that. A well-written contract must have clear and strong language regarding changes. This protects both parties. And the reason is because if the contract's unclear, you set the stage for a um, prolonged or protracted settlement. You might even force the parties to go into a mediation, arbitration, or even the court of law. So it's important to make sure that the change language is clear. I'm going to have a separate podcast on change administration and claims. But for the purposes of overall understanding of contracts and contracts management, one of the big takeaways we must have is that contracts have to be written clearly. And depending on the type of uh, contract delivery methodology that you're working in, the contract language will vary. If you're a design builder, you will enter into a design build contract. If you're a general contractor, you'll have a general construction contract. Um, if you're a construction manager, you'll have a CM contract. Often those follow a standard AIA format. Contracts provide an opportunity for us to put some boundary around the risks that we undertake um, as a contractor uh, or as an owner. An owner signs a contract with the, with the contractor. The owner may hold separate contracts with the design firm. In a design build uh, environment, the owner would hold the design build contract. So uh, it's important that um, we have as little ambiguity as possible uh, in a contract. Uh, the, the general conditions, the general requirements of a contract must specify um, the parties, what the authorization limits are and, um, and, and who the parties are and what the contract structure looks like. What is the expectation of each party with regard to the execution of work? How is cost defined? How is cost reimbursed? What are the reporting structures? If you're on an infrastructure project, whose responsibility is it to identify a change condition and what are the time limits for notification. Notification durations are very important in a contract because they provide the, the, the limits uh, which we must live within. If there's a 14-day requirement for uh, a change notification and you as a contractor 
wait for 15 days, you may lose the ability to claim that change. So it's important that uh, that language is addressed. Also, it's important that the overall liabilities for each party um, are specified in the contract. Does the contract make a clear assessment on cons consequential damages, direct damages, indirect damages? Uh, what are the um, what are the dependencies of the contract? Are there statements that are conditional, especially in, in general requirements? Um, that would be uh, a bad sign. Um, and that would make the contract more complex than it needs to be. So a well-written contract, I think, should be uh, clear and should have uh, clear guidelines without having too many cross-references to other sections of the contract. If you do that, that's where it gets really dicey. Other elements of the contract that are important are um, warranty notifications, uh, what is the warranty period, um, and, and who is responsible for that cost, um, what, uh, what is the schedule, and, and is there a clear schedule identified in the contract, what are the schedule reporting requirements, are there damages specified for liquidated, liquidated damages for delays? Are there milestones that are clear? Are there uh, resources that, that are identified which the contractor must provide? What resources is the owner required to provide? And then what are the rights and privileges of each party in the contract? So knowing all of this, uh, gives us a chance to make sure that uh, we've got a contract that helps us bring a little bit of certainty so that we could base some some cost and budget and schedule assumptions um, around. In terms of the schedule, the contract must be absolutely clear on what the critical path is and um, and when it must be presented. Often on projects, there is a preliminary schedule and then there is a contract budget schedule. The budget schedule is the schedule the day the contract signed, before the, uh, the project starts or before the contract timeline starts. Schedule can change as a result of approved change orders or approved variations. Just like the budget can change. You have a budget, which is the baseline budget at the start of the contract, but that budget could change plus or minus as the, as the project evolves. So um, the understanding of contracts is really something that um, is largely driven by our experience, but it, it's also um, driven by um, a desire for all parties, usually two, but sometimes more than two parties, uh, to understand that they will rely on this contract. Where contracts provide clarity as well as some relief on ambiguity um, and serve as the basis for a change or a claim for a change, 
are factors that provide um, provide the language for change uh, asserting a change some factors include uh, from a contractor's point of view is there an unjust enrichment the contract has to have some language that specifies this does one party have superior knowledge typically the owner would have superior knowledge in most cases on most issues is there an abuse of authority with respect to the contract and contractual responsibilities that the owner has has there been a misrepresentation by the owner the contract should provide some language on that remember that when a contract is silent on an issue it opens up the door for ambiguity sometimes people think that oh if a contract's silent i don't have to worry about it well you do in fact have to worry about it if you're the general contractor you're trying to make sure that you're managing risk on the upside with the owner as well as risk on the downside with your subcontractors and vendors and suppliers so having clear contracts is very important uh, if your contract language with the owner has strict requirements such as liquidated damages milestone schedule expectations um, and contract delivery terminology is that language reflected in your subcontracts so if you don't have that back-to-back -back contract you could be facing a one-sided asymmetric risk that's not passed along to your subcontractors a specification in the contract that has gaps and does not address major issues or is technically contradictory with different parts saying different things that is likely a defective specification so we don't want that we want contracts that don't open the door for that and that don't provide for a basis of claim for conflicting direction remember that we rely on contracts as contractors as owners we also rely on contracts and as subcontractors we rely on contracts so wherever you are on the supply chain you want to make sure that the contract is clear clear on the scope of work on what the schedule is how the critical path can be extended and what those approvals look like um, what the claims and, and claims administration process looks like are there um, undefined risks by undefined I mean unlimited liabilities consequential damages lack of a dispute resolution clause or language lack of a cap on warranty lack of a cap on unauthorized repairs what about acceptance what is beneficial acceptance is it defined in the contract when does warranty start as a supplier ideally I would like the warranty to start as soon as equipment is delivered or at least delivered and tested and in use as an owner you want to sort of start the beneficial use because that's useful for you that that gives you the ability to put in service whatever system uh, property equipment that you have contracted for but you want that warranty period 
to start later. So, you, so there's, there's an inherent conflict there. And if that language is not clearly specified in the contract, that could lead to problems. What are the rights of each party? Are there any, any limitations on those rights? And have those limitations been spelled out? What is the audit language in the contract? What are the, the specific clauses regarding indemnification and indemnity? What are the insurance requirements? What are the termination requirements? So if, if termination process is not clearly defined in the contract, that leads to huge problems. So you want to have clear language on termination, termination for cause, as well as termination for convenience. As I mentioned, taxes and costs have to be identified in contracts, specifically who's responsible for what. We're going to continue this discussion on contracts and contracts management in our next segment where we talk about what the basis of a claim look like, uh, what a properly administered claim should include, and uh, what rights and remedies we should be aware of so that we write contracts properly uh, and that uh, we as project leaders and uh, our teams uh, understand what the contract uh, means and, and what it means for uh, the owner uh, and what it means for the suppliers uh, and the contractors. So um, thank you very much for joining me. And, uh, you've been listening to Project Leadership Guru with Ravi Bhatia.